All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great. This is our God, King Jesus. We are studying Jesus Christ in our series in the Gospel of Mark, a book of action, a book of excitement, a book of many different accounts that we can learn who Jesus is. In a world that might try to define him outside of Scripture, may we be a church that looks to the Word of God to gain our description of who Jesus is. Is. In our opening week, if you've been walking with us in this uh, journey so far, we discussed what Jesus has called his followers to do. Not be fans that clap for him, but follow him by making fishers of fishes of men. Not fishers, go fishing for fish, although that's what they were doing. He wanted them to make fishers of men. It's one of our goals to follow after Jesus in casting as broad a net as possible. And when should we send that net out? Like uh, in a couple months or immediately? Right, right. We want to be fishers of men. In the second week, we saw that part of being a follower is looking at the crowds and being annoyed or being moved with compassion. When Jesus looked at people, he did not look at them in a way that did not have compassion. But instead, he was often moved by compassion. We read in the other gospel accounts, when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved by compassion. When you look at this world, when you listen to some of the things that are being done, when you watch the lives that are being lived, are you moved by compassion? You see, that leaves you from fan world because Jesus was, do I be a follower and change my perspective on how I look at those who are lost? Well, today, I want us to go off the title, Extra Mile. That'll be our sermon today, Extra Mile. Do you, do you know someone who is kind of known for going the extra mile? Have you ever had somebody go the extra mile for you? I mean, like, wow, I was expecting this, and they totally went the extra mile. I mean, it's really neat to be someone who does the extra mile for someone else. You really get a joy in going, wow, I, I just asked them to clean up the kitchen. They did the entire house and put candles out and mopped the floor. They went the extra mile. There's a story of a young man who was working the front desk in the early 1900s in a hotel in Philadelphia. And that night, an elderly couple came into his hotel. And he was a young man, but he was an ambitious young man and he wanted to make good impressions and he wanted to someday run a hotel. And as the account goes, this couple came in and they came to the young man and they said, we cannot find a hotel in Philadelphia. It seems as there's a convention or something, and this is one of our last options. And he was really saddened to have to tell them, we are full as well. And he saw the discouragement hit this elderly couple's face, and he, and he thought, is there anything I can do? Because they seemed more discouraged than just the typical, ah, there's a vacancy. And now the night has gotten away, it's gotten later, and they're sending them out, out to the streets. And as they were leaving, he said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Yes, they turned around. He said, you know what? I'm gonna be going all night. With the hotel this busy, I'm gonna be going all night. I'm gonna be manning this post and I actually have a room for me. I want you to have it. The other day, no, 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 we'll, we'll keep looking. He said, look, it's getting late. 
you take my room. Really? And after some prodding and some pushing, he finally got them to accept his room for the night. Gave them the keys, they went up and they spent the night. That morning they came down and the couple came up to him and the man said, you know what, son? What you did last night. What if someday I were to build a hotel in New York City and make you the manager of it? And the young man said, yeah, I would love that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, have a great day. I'm glad you enjoyed the room. And the couple left. What that young man didn't know is who he was talking to. For he was talking to William Wardorf Astor. And William Waldorf Astor did build that New York City hotel. Here's a picture of it in 1930 being constructed. It was called the Waldorf Astoria. And the young man got a letter saying, come up and manage my hotel. Sometimes going the extra mile leads others to go the extra mile for you. Young people, listen in real quick. We live in a world that burns bridges. We live in a world that goes only as far as you have to. We live in a world that tries to do the bare minimum. But there's something I've learned and I haven't been on earth that long, but I've learned this. This world is a lot smaller than you think. People come back around into circles. And sometimes one act of kindness, one explosive attitude of servanthood goes so far with the right person that they desire to go the extra mile for you. I wanna encourage everybody in the room today. In our sermon, we're entitling The Extra Mile. To be asking yourself, are you someone who is known for doing the bare minimum? And you would like to become someone who goes the extra mile? I'm gonna warn you, the approval of man will not motivate you to do that. Selfish ambition will still not motivate you to do that. But there is one who calls us to go the extra mile and he does not ask us to clap for him. He asks us to follow him. So I better know what it means and I better get an example of what it looks like so I can apply it to my life and leave today desiring to go the extra mile so that I run a hotel someday? No, 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 maybe, okay. But so that you can become a follower of the one who is known for teaching this truth. Heavenly Father, use your word today to inspire your church. May we dig into the gospel of Mark with a fresh joy to see how our savior lives his life. 
And Lord, it's one thing to clap for you in the life you lived. It's another to follow after you because some of the things you ask us to do are very counterintuitive. Some of the things you ask us to do are very difficult things. And some of the things you ask us to do seemingly feel like it's just unfair. And sometimes as children of God, we feel like, are you asking us to just get walked on? And Jesus is saying something so different. And so, Lord, may we not hear from worldly thoughts about Jesus, but may we hear from the pages of Scripture in the glorious book of the Gospel of Mark. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I got a picture I want to show you, and I want to ask you if you know what this is. Now, if you're listening on podcast, I got, I got a picture of a, a, a stone, okay? It's sticking out of the ground. It seems circular in nature, kind of a cylinder. You know what this is? This is a picture of a miliaria. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course. That is what the Romans used to construct mile posts. Did you know that? They would put these mile posts out so that everybody knew where a mile was. Why is that important? Because you will never fully understand the phrase going the extra mile in a biblical worldview unless you know this about the Roman Empire and how they constructed roads. See, the Romans built incredible, incredible road systems. Most of those roads beginning in Rome, and so all their roads led back to Rome. And when you walked through these roads, they would have these miliarias and they were set up as markers for a mile. Now, now, now Romans would pace these out. A thousand Roman paces or approximately 5,000 feet, there will be placed a stone. And you say, why is that important? Why, why does that even matter? Well, one, it shows the ingenuity. It, it shows the great industry, uh, uh, all of that of the Roman Empire, right? And, and we still have mile markers today, right? But there is something else they use these for. And to the Jew, it was repulsive. See, written in some of the Roman laws was something called the laws of impressionment. What's this? The laws of impressionment allowed a Roman soldier walking along with all his gear, all his armory, all his stuff, sometimes not even his stuff, just his luggage or whatever. It allowed him to be carrying that long. And if he saw any of the Jews that he wished, he could say, carry my load. And he'd drop it. Sometimes in mockery, sometimes in, in great um, demand, sometimes in front of other people. And the Jew would have to stop according to the laws of oppression because the Jews were slaves to the Roman empire. And they would have to take the load of the Roman soldier one mile. Think about how embarrassing, how frustrating, how awful this was for the Roman soldier, elite soldiers, by the way, carrying their equipment or whatever they had in it, and they walk up and say, you, carry my load. I'm sure they did it the way some young people take out the trash. With great joy, right? Fine. I'm sure there were times where it was 
don't say anything. They're just going to hit you or just go, just go. And they pick it up for the soldier and they carry it a mile. Keep the pace up. You can imagine some of the things that were said. And when they got to the marker, oh, I can only imagine how unbelievably embarrassing, frustrating, annoying, how angry they were to do this. And then Jesus comes along and he starts teaching them about how he wants them to handle retaliation when wrongs are done to them. And he does the unthinkable. He starts like saying stuff. When people start treating you this way, this is what I want you to do. In fact, some, some of your Bibles will say, these are some of the, the, the guidelines Jesus gave out for retaliation. When somebody does you wrong, he's like, yeah, let's, let's talk. I mean, and, and, and Jesus says this one. He says this, he says this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, you're all contextualized now. That's how they heard that. Yeah, yeah, that's happened to me. Oh man, that happened. Oh, my son was asked by this group one time. Oh, my father, my father was made fun of. If anyone asks you to go one mile, if they force you to go one mile, I want you to go with him two miles. Uh, Excuse me? See, it's easy to clap for Jesus, isn't it? I'm so glad you live that way. Good job, Jesus! Nobody's treating me like that. Nobody's telling me what to do. Nobody's forcing me. I mean, that, that, that really comes up. And see, I'm talking to an American audience, so that's really raging inside you, right? We got things, all right? And, and Jesus comes along. He's of a whole nother kingdom. And he says, if anybody forces you to go one mile, go with them too. What are you doing? Jesus, what are you doing? What, what, do you, what do you want to do? Somebody slaps you on the face, you want me to turn the cheek and do the other one too? Yeah, while you're at it. What, 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 come on, what? I want you to go a second mile. What? What does the second mile do? Carry this. Oh. <clears throat> I'm going to. All right, let's go. Go! I'm going two. I'm going two. For the soldier? Nope. I'm only forced to go one. Why would you go two? I'm doing it for Jesus. You see, the first mile is the slave mile. The first mile, the first mile, I'm in bondage. But imagine what it was like when they got to the marker those who applied this, and they kept going. <clears throat> yeah, you put that down now. We're going to. Well, you only needed to go one. Where are you going? You only needed to go one. Why is he going one? This is remarkable. He keeps going. See, the first mile I'm in bondage, the second mile I'm free. The first mile, I have to renew Bible. The second mile, I get to. See, the first mile, 
I'm slaving away. The second mile, I'm worshiping. The first mile, I'm forced to. The second mile, I'm doing it for my Savior. Jesus understood how to teach his followers to not be bitter, angry, and upset, but to overcome it. And not only to overcome it, live in such a remarkable way. Live in such a remarkable way. Live a second mile attitude so that people see your life and say, what's up with that? Peter says, live in such a way that they ask about the hope you have. I know I just excluded a lot of the audience because there's a lot of us and I, I remember times in my life that don't really want to be a follower. They're here to make somebody and their family member happy today. I'll sit there, whatever, we'll go to church. But maybe you're just here today because Jesus says, you know how you feel like all this stuff you're forced to do? What if you did it for me? What would that look like? And I pray you're inspired today to stop doing things for Jesus that as, as little as you possibly can and start thinking about how you can do things. Hmm. Second mile style. If he asks you to go one, go two. Watch what it does for you. Our chapter is chapter two. Our verses are one through 17. And I want you to look for second mile illustrations as we read this text. And I thought I'd start reading immediately. <laughs> and when they returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was home. It seems Jesus was out on a preaching tour. Remember, he said, I didn't come here to become famous. I'm going out to talk. And he comes back and he's back in Capernaum. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door place is packed. People are pressing in. They found him. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. What's going on here? I skipped a verse. Let's look at this. And as he was preaching the word to them, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if you brought your journals today. If you remember to bring them, I wrote down in mine, carried by four men. Carried by four men. This isn't a two-person job. This paralytic has four men carrying this heavy load. I wonder how far they came. Did they come for miles? How long have they carried this load? 
And I started making a couple, couple notes because I need to talk about these men. I need friends like this. He's a paralytic and they brought him. I mean, are we talking 100 pounds, 150 pounds, 180 pounds, 200 pounds? I mean, he'd been laying there for a time, this paralytic. See, when I was a youth pastor, we played this game. We called it airplane crash. And so what would happen is I, I'd take the youth mission when we were doing different things and I'd say, all right, we're in a plane crash and I'm gonna give you all out what happened to you in the crash because they're survivors. And a couple of you are gonna get through fine and you have to serve everybody and get them away from the airplane before it explodes. It's role playing. And, um, and then I would assign, okay, you lost your eyesight. So here, put this on. Oh, really? Yeah, put it on. Okay, you can't talk. I always pick the one who talked the most. You can't talk. <laughs> what? No, no. Okay, you can't talk. Um, um, all right, you're, you're paralyzed. Okay, and they go, boom, and they just go limp. You know how heavy a body is that's limp? Oh, and I usually picked one of the bigger guys to do it. You're, you're paralyzed. They're gonna have to carry you out. And I go around and say, hey, your leg's broken. Um, you are in pain, so scream a lot. You know, you gotta create tension. Ah! They're like, stop, you know? It's like you got, and we would do all this and then I'd say, you're fine, you're fine. Boom, crash. And they all do their roles. And they had to figure out what was going on and they had to get out and I'm counting down about until the plane blows. One minute, come on, get them up. And we, and we would then take all those examples and talk about leadership. Who stepped up? What was it like having to be helped instead of wanting to help? How did you feel in that moment when they went past you and helped them first? I know, right? So we would go through all these leadership examples and we use this as a big kind of living illustration. So I'm picturing how heavy this must have been. And they brought him to the house and they brought him up and there was nowhere to get him in, not even the door. Has anybody ever in here moved a couch up a staircase, it challenges your testimony. <laughs> it challenges your words, everything. It challenges you, especially if you've just painted, right? And there's drywall you'd rather not destroy. And then you're going up there and you hit steps and you realize you're gonna have to turn the couch and now you're stuck because you're already tired and you gotta back it out and you gotta go again. They get to the house, they've carried this guy in and there's no way to get in. And you would think, hey, we did our best here. I'm blown away by the faith of these four men because one, they're on their way to see Jesus and they stop by someone who can't move and they pick him up. Hey, we need help over here. Hey, we need you too. Hey, could you get over here? And, and get, we need another guy, okay? Let's get him up, let's get him up. All right, hey, let's get him up. All right, let's get him up and they get the load. Okay, let's go, let's take him to the house. They get to the house. Oh my word, we can't get in. There's nowhere, not even at the door. And so they make an opening. Well, how do they do that? Well, well, if you're picturing them in a normal house, this is a Palestinian house. And so you're like, they went up, stops, and they made an open air. Are they messing with the shingles? There was no shingles. There were no rain gutters. It was a Palestinian house. A lot of straw involved, a lot of beams involved, some stone pieces that were put in place. And on the outsides of these homes, oftentimes there's a staircase or a ladder. We're not sure which here, but either way, they went up to the roof. They saw there's no way to get in. They got like, oh man, we're not getting in there. All right, all right. Um, 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 are you thinking what I'm thinking? Oh yeah, I'm good. Oh yeah, we're got it, let's go. All right, all right, here we go. Up the roof. They get up to the top 
and they start making an opening. Can you imagine dirt starting to fall from the ceiling? Folks, as I was preaching and the roof started opening up, I'd have a problem become a hard time having you guys think, like, oh, oh there, that's interesting. Oh boy, here comes someone being lowered. I would probably stop the sermon and say, can we help you? I mean, wait, wait, don't, don't, we can't lose the shock value of this guy. These guys are determined to get him in. Oh my word, I want some friends like this. These, are, these aren't one mile friends, are they? These are second miles. They're going the extra mile for their friend. I, I, I can picture a scene and I love to share about it. You, if you've been to Renew Bible, you, you've heard me probably leverage this one, but back in 2008, I took a group of guys that were in our youth ministry and, and some are just starting. And we went down to the Phillies parade in 2008. And, and one of the things they told you to do is take the SEPTA trains down. And, and, and they were really prepared for it. No, no, okay. And, and, and so the crowds, guys, were lined up so much that there were trains that couldn't even stop because they were already filled from further north stations and they would go by and people were actually, you, you know, Philadelphia fans are normally pretty calm. No, no, and, and they're hitting, like, stop, stop. Guys, like, don't touch the train. I mean, and they would go by. It's like, if anyone stops, if a train stops, there was literally like, Okay, when the doors open, we're going in. And you'd see these trains come up and they're already full. And I remember looking at the guys around me. We have a few more than four of us. And I looked at them and I said, if the next train stops, we're going in. Now I had my oldest son with me at the time, but he was a young guy. So I grabbed him like this, as every father would do. You need like a battering ram in front of you. And, and, and my, hey, are we ready? Are we ready? And I looked back to one of my guys. He, he had a little more to him than the rest of us. And I said, hold it, let us get in. All right, all right, all right, I got it. You got the door? I got the door, okay. So, so the train stopped and it's full. The doors open and we are going in. And we got in there and we got in like, oh, 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 there's really not room here, it's okay, it's okay. Because you know, Philadelphia fans, we really don't care about one another's feelings. We need to get in the train because we gotta go down and see the Phillies parade. And we got in there and I look back at the door and people are trying to get in and there's my guy. He's literally like this and he's using his hips to block people trying to get like, block, block. I'm like, now get in. And he jumped in. And now he's our head of security here at the church and, and uh, been taking care of me ever since then. And, and, and we, we took that opportunity. We got there because we were desperate. Don't lose the emotion of these guys. They brought him. There was no opening that didn't deter him. They took him up to the top. They made an opening in the roof. They didn't even care if they interrupted the sermon and they started lowering him in. I put in my notes. He saw their faith. That's what Jesus says. And when he saw their faith, Jesus didn't go one mile for the paralytic in these guys. He didn't go one mile. He went the extra mile and he said, when he saw their faith, son, couldn't he have just said, hey, you're healed? What, what's this? Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, what did you go there for? I mean, I mean, I mean you, you, you just offered him forgiveness? Never miss this. 
Young person, if you were listening to the opening illustration, never miss this. Jesus sees when you go the second mile. And he rewards it when you do it for him. Scripture reminds me, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. You got somebody having you go do this? Go the extra mile and watch it free you up. Because the first part you have to, the second part you're worshiping, you're free. Jesus knows how to take the embittered heart and release it from the bondage of anger by serving a higher purpose. He sees you at work, brother. He sees what you're being asked to do. Mom, he sees it. He sees what you're being forced to do. Teenager, he sees it. College student, he sees that you got mistreated. He sees that you had to do that for that professor only because you have a different worldview. He sees it and he rewards when we not only do it, but we go the extra mile. This is an interesting phrase, son, your sins are forgiven. I, I wanna investigate more. The scripture says this. Now, now, when some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? And, ready, ready, and immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he says to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Son, your sins are forgiven. I wrote down in my, my notes. Son, he's speaking as if a parental relationship is being offered. Son, he's speaking as if he's the leader of this scenario and the other is the follower. Son, he's speaking as if one will follow and one will lead. And they're saying, you're saying his sins are forgiven? This is blasphemy. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it even prophesy that the Messiah would, would have the ability to forgive sins. And he's saying, son, your sins are forgiven? I mean, who does this guy think he is? He's acting like he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Who does he think he is? He's blaspheming. And they questioned in their hearts. Did anybody spot that? Jesus responds to them, but they didn't say it out loud. They were saying it in their hearts. And Jesus, it says, when he perceived what they were saying in their hearts, nobody's talking out loud. And Jesus already knows what they're thinking. You're getting some God man there. You're getting fully divine and fully human. And when he hears their hearts, if you will, he asks them, which is easier to say? Rise, get up and take up your bed and walk or son, your sins are forgiven. Which is easier to say? I want you to just take a moment and think through that. Which would be easier for you? Yeah, I'm like, I can't do either. So I'm stuck here. 
I can't, I can't forgive anybody of their sins and be the full and righteous judge. I, I, I can't do that. I can forgive somebody who's hurt me, but I, I can't be the full and righteous judge. And I certainly can't tell somebody to take up their bed and walk. So what's Jesus saying here? See, see, there was a rabbinic, there was a rabbinic style to handle accusation questions with counter questions. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. And he says, which do you think is easier for me to say, son, take up your bed and walk or son, your sins are forgiven, which is easier? I know the answer, but only because I've looked at the context of this. It is way easier for Jesus to say, take up your bed and walk. People will clap for that. What? Look at this. Look at this. He makes people walk. He makes food happen. But Jesus, if you say, son, your sins are forgiving, you're claiming to be the Messiah. You're claiming divinity. And that's not going to go well. Jesus, they ain't going to like this. Do you know this is? Him claiming Messiahship is the reason they had him crucified. I, I mean, Jesus, wouldn't it be so tempting for you to just go, son, take up your sins. But, but you seem to be intentionally, intentionally making a moment here saying, son, your sins are forgiven. So why did you do that? You're firing people up. You know, they're not going to deem this as acceptable. I mean, you just started a fire with that phrase. But when he saw their faith, Jesus went the extra mile knowing it would create a firestorm for him. Have you ever gone the extra mile for someone knowing it was probably gonna be harder on you because you did it? Jesus understands that. So why did you do it, Jesus? Oh man, we gotta we got talk about this in small groups. No, you don't. Because Jesus tells you why he did it. We don't have to go conjecture. We don't have to think through this. Jesus tells us why he chose to say that. Okay, so let's hear it. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic. So that you might know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Folks, There's only one reference in your prophecy that you can look forward to that there might be someone who could judge the earth. It's found in Daniel. It's an interesting passage because God is called the Ancient of Days. Have you ever heard that title? And the Ancient of Days is speaking. And the Ancient of Days gives authority to this heavenly being that descends and is given the right to judge by the ancient of days. And Daniel says that the ancient of days says to a person who has a title. Only that reference, what the ancient of days said to that title is all you can maybe gather about who can do this. And the title that is used in Daniel 7 that the Ancient of Days gives that power to is the Son of Man. That's why Jesus says that you may know that the Son of Man has a power. And then he stops himself, turns to the paralytic and says, rise, pick up your bed 
and go home. If you recall in the beginning of this series, I said, I want you to watch for something. This is a little bit of our seminary notes every once in a while. I want you to watch for something. Mark has a writing style. He gives multiple commands that demand one action. He's done it multiple times in our study. Here you get three commands and one action. And Mark compiles them all together. And he says, rise, one, pick up, two, go home. Rise, get off the floor, you're forgiven. Forgiven? It seems in the New Testament that sometimes sin was because of sin. And then there's other times physical ailment came and it wasn't because of sin. There were times where it's like, wow, they've sinned. Because understand this, as the paralytics being lowered through the floor, during that time period, a paralyzed man would have often been thought of as, ew, oh, what a sinner. I don't know who sinned worse, his parents or him. Look at him. They equated physical illness and ailments and diseases and struggles to some sort of sin. And that's why when the blind man came, the disciples turned to Jesus and said, hey, who sinned, his mom or his dad? And Jesus said, neither. This is so I can show who I am. So sometimes it has reference to that and sometimes it doesn't. Job did nothing wrong, right? And then there's sometimes where it's challenged that the Corinthian church was experiencing illness in their church because of sin not being dealt with. Here, it seems as if there was a sin problem for that's right where Jesus goes. And he says, rise, get off the floor. You're forgiven, get up. But what's interesting, he says, pick up your mat. You've been a burden to these four guys, no longer. I want you to start carrying your own load. You see, sometimes people receive help and don't stop receiving help. And Jesus is saying, okay, now take some responsibility. Then one of the four might've gone, I'll get your mat. No, 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 no. You get your mat, get your mat. You're forgiven, get your mat. Take responsibility. There might be a season in your life where you needed a lot of help, but then there's also a season in your life where it's time to accept responsibility and then go home. And give your chance to self a set to a chance to reset. And he rose, and how fast do you think he left? Immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Son, your sins are forgiven. Why did he say it? Because he knew they would question their hearts. Which was easier to say, it'd be easier for him to just heal him, but he went the extra mile and forgave his sins. Why? So that you may know. That you may know what? That you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And that's why the New Testament believer knows if we can confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Son, your sins are forgiven. Child of God, do you need Jesus to remind you of that from time to time? Any of you got a really mean person who lives inside of you telling you all the time your sins aren't forgiven? You're not forgiven. No, I remember what you did. No, look at that. And you need in your prayer life, son, your sins are forgiven. Get up, 
pick up your bed and go home. We got a new mission in the morning. How many believers are laying flat on the floor because they've believed a lie that their sins haven't been forgiven? And if there is relational conflict with Jesus, we confess them and he's faithful and just because Jesus is a second mile leader. The number one title in scripture used for Jesus is Christ. Do you know what the number two is? Lord. Do you know what the number three is? Son of man. Guess which one Jesus loved to refer to himself the most? Son of man. Why? Because it dealt with his humanity as well as divinity. It also veiled his messiahship just a bit and it demanded you have further understanding and enabled him to keep maneuvering. I can really relate to this being a pastor. When I'm out in the community and I'm with my kids at a sporting event or different things like that, they'll be like, hey, Chris, hey, Chris, hey, Chris. And then if they say the dreaded question, hey, what do you do? Here goes the end of this conversation. Um, I'm a pastor. Oh, 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 oh. Or it's just silence. I think I've been cursing the last half an hour around him. Some is like, oh, sweet. Thanks for what you do, Father. Um, so sometimes, um, sometimes I get uh, all sorts of things. I've even been, I've even received some hostility at times for that. It, it's, believe it or not, a lot of different reactions on, on what's happened to people in their life when you drop that. And so sometimes I try to go out of my way to not necessarily do that. And then a teenager would be walking by, hey, Pastor Chris. I'm like, all right, all right, we're good. And they look like, oh my word, I didn't realize you were that. So what does it look like to go the second mile? I mean, how, how does that look? Can I, give, can, I give you, can I give you the best illustration I can think of in scripture? You're familiar with it. You're familiar with it. Uh, uh, let me throw up a picture to kind of set the scene. There was a lawyer who came up to Jesus and he was looking for a loophole in the law. It's recorded in the gospel of Luke. But, but see, we, if we're gonna be followers, Jesus, we gotta know what this looks like, right? Um, and he came up to Jesus and he said, um, he had a question, teacher, what should we do to inherit life, eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God. He quotes the Shema, with all your heart and all your soul and your strength and with your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, if you know a little of the historical context of this, here's who his neighbors weren't. Not sinners, they had a category, sinners. What were sinners? You ever hear that in scripture? And the sinners were there. Sinners were people who disobeyed the pharisaical laws. They just labeled them sinners. Then there was a second, prostitutes. Who's your neighbor? Not prostitutes, they're, they're, they're impure. Who's your neighbor? Definitely not this category. Have you heard of this category? Tax collectors, disgusting to the Jews. Disloyal to their national people, extorted them for money from the Romans, collected taxes from their own people. Ugh, not their neighbors, but especially not this group called Samaritans. And that was due mostly to racial prejudice. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Uh, uh. 
And so this lawyer says, and who's my neighbor? Because they sought to, divide, they sought to define who their neighbor was. And Jesus replied with a story. Listen, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That would be known as the way of the blood. For many a man died on that road from robbery and attacks. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. Oh, good, 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 a priest. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I mean, I mean, I mean, after all, he is a priest. He has to stay ceremonial clean. So, I mean, I can, I, I, I definitely understand that. I mean, if he touches something unclean, I mean, he can't continue. So likewise, Jesus continues, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him. Okay, so the Levite stops. Okay, what's he gonna do? And he passed by on the other side. Well, I mean, I mean, after all, he is a Levite. If he compromises what he has to do, then he can't carry out the temple sacrifices. So that would be irresponsible. I can kind of understand that. And then Jesus says, but a Samaritan. And the lawyer and the people listening must have gone, oh, oh, not a sinner, not a tax collector, not a prostitute. You went Samaritan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, let, me, let, me, let me summarize this up. Jesus went like this. You know that person you hate? Yeah, him. Oh, I want to use him as an example. You, you know that person you can't stand? It? You're, they're disgusting and they appall you every time you see them? Yeah, yeah, them. Let's use them. Okay, what? But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw them, he had compassion. He, he went up to him and bound up his wounds. Well, well, he touched him? Yeah, he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Wait, wait, he's spending his own money? Then he set him on his own animal. On his own animal? What's he doing? He's going, he's going the second mile. And, and then he sent him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. What? He stopped everything he was doing. He took care of him at an inn. Yeah, and then the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. But, but. Go the second mile, go the second mile. I wrote down in my notes, here's seven things I learned about a second mile follower. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna lead a second mile life, then when I see something, I come to the place. I come to the place. I look not with, oh, that's, you know what? That, it, that's not a surprise. Thank goodness I'm not like them. No, no, I look with compassion. 
I come to the place and I go, oh, whoa, they're not like me. Nope, nope, nope. The second mile servant harbors no partiality. I come to the place and I go, somebody needs to deal with that. No, no, they actually get very involved. Even they get dirty at times. The second mile looks at this and goes, wow, this is really gonna be costly. Um, We need to move on. No, they willingly sacrifice. In fact, they give to the need because the second mile lifestyle goes the extra mile. They don't deserve it. Yeah. If they were conscious, they would probably call me a name. Yeah, probably. They, they, they don't believe what I believe. Yep, probably true. And that's exactly why Jesus wanted this to be the illustration. Because he's coaching the Pharisee and all of us that once rules and guidelines and things we do and things we boycott, things we stay away from and things we don't box up my whole life. And Jesus goes, what about this? Everybody goes, oh, um, 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 but, but, but that could really damage my reputation. Yeah, yeah, it might. Yeah, I mean, that could really, I, I got to think through this. I mean, Jesus, you're asking me to do something. I mean, do you ever do this? Can I ask you to read the next passage right here with fresh eyes, with that illustration in your mind? Can I ask you to read this next part? You're never going to look at this passage again because the same way, because Jesus, I love how Mark adds this right here. Jesus is about to call somebody with a massive label. Oh, he's, one of, he's not a Samaritan, he's a, he's a tax collector. Watch this. He went out again beside the sea and the crowd was coming at him. Everybody wanted to talk to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. He comes to the place. And then scripture says this, the son of Alphaeus sitting in a tax booth. In a tax booth? These guys are rich. In fact, these were one of the more coveted jobs. Yes, it meant, it meant that you would be kind of basically no longer talked to by the Jews, but you were gonna have money. People wanted these jobs. And if you left this job, you would never get it back for there was lines of people wanting this job because of the wealth, despite the social ostracism. Very odd. And he's sitting at the tax booth And Jesus looks and he sees compassion. And he said to him, follow me. Not gonna follow you, Jesus, right? I mean, or the disciples thinking, you asking him? And he rose and followed him. Showed no partiality. And on top of that, he says this, he reclined at the table in his house and the tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many followers. What? You went in his house? See, that's very different. We read that through American eyes and we're like, what's the big deal? He went to his house. But in that time period, you are basically saying he is my friend. To go into there, you have an intimate relationship building. I mean, Jesus, you are getting very involved here. You know what people are gonna say if you're in that house. He is there for a reason, not to celebrate their behavior, but to minister to their problem. And he's getting involved. And then it says this, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what he was 
that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. They said to his disciples, they're sick of asking him because he always has a good answer. So they went to the disciples. Hey, hey, we don't want to ask him. He's going to like bury us publicly, okay? So, so like, why is he doing that? Look what they ask. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus is willingly sacrificing his view in their eyes. And he continues. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. In other words, those of you who think you're the best, you're, nobody's like you. I mean, you're perfect and everybody else is a fool or an idiot. Those people, they don't, they don't need a physician, but the sick, that's who I came for. And I'm really glad, church, because scripture says, while while. I was yet a what? A sinner. Oh, when I arrived and got really polished up and started living a perfect lifestyle that everybody looked at and went, what a guy. That's when Jesus called me. Nope, nope, nope. While I was a sinner, see, I was laying on the road. And see, the problem we get so many times, and I'm not, no, no shame, guilt here. Let's just get inspired by this. The problem we have is we come along thinking we earn something. And therefore, because we have Jesus and we're enlightened with the truth of the gospel, we look at the crowds, we look at this and we go, sick, gross. And we forget that when Jesus saw us while we were yet sinners, he did what? He died for us. And all of a sudden that really levels the playing field a little bit. And Jesus says, that's who I came for. He looked at a tax collector that everybody was like, oh, gross, what a disgusting human being with terrible choices, horrible opinions, worldly views, and had compassion for him. Why? Because he was in bondage and Jesus knew it and he wanted to set him free. Wow. And Matthew got up and followed right away. Why? because there was a wounded heart in that tax collector's booth and he made a commitment that he must become greater and I must become less. That's the only way you'll go the second mile. You will never go the second mile if you must become greater and everyone else become less. But if Jesus must become greater and you less, you'll go the second mile. Immediately. You say, Pastor Chris, um, I can barely get through today, let alone go the second mile. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing this extra mile talk, but you don't understand the mountain in front of me. I mean, I've got this massive mountain. Have you ever felt like you were about to hike up a massive mountain you could never get up? And you, and you hear extra mile and you're like, do you even know the diagnosis I just got? Do you even know what my family's going through? Do you even know what I'm dealing with pain-wise, this chronic pain I'm having? Do you even know how rejected I am right now? Do you even know that my own kid won't talk to me right now? Do you even know what's going on and I'm supposed to do the extra mile? I'm hobbling through the first mile. 
I, I love to listen to leadership podcasts. They get me fired up sometimes. I really enjoy it. So for every once in a while, I'll refer to one. And, and, and one I was hearing recently was called The Power of One More. And I was just listening to this. And, and um, it, I don't know if it was a, a secular or faith-based. It, it, that doesn't matter. I just was touched by this, this line. He said his father um, had been an alcoholic and he stopped. And he said, Dad, do you think, do you think you're gonna make it another day? You think you'll keep, you think you'll stay sober? He said, I don't know. I don't know some, but, but I'm, I'm gonna do one more day. <laughs> he said later in his life, he was really processing quitting. Nothing was going well in his business and his thing. And his dad called him and he said, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I'm just ready to quit. And his dad said, what, what, if you just, what if you just did one more? One more day. Don't quit, one more day. And, and he said, I really learned to begin the power of one more versus the entire mountain. Just, just, one more day. And he goes on, he says, listen, listen, I'm not, I'm not the best looking guy. I'm not the tallest guy, the coolest guy or whatever, but you know what? I can do one more. And he starts saying, I, I can do one more rep in the gym. One more. When I wanna stop, I'm gonna do one more. He said, I can send one more email. I, 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 can, I can go that one more step. And he said, I kept applying that in my life, just one more. And before you know it, you haven't quit. You've gone one more. He said, I learned the power of just one more versus taking on the whole mountain. Let's apply it spiritually. Jesus is asking us to go one more mile than you would typically go. And you might think, I, I can't do that. I can't, but I could maybe, I, I might be one more. Because what it does is when you think about going a certain way, it changes your pace. Walk up to a track athlete and tell them you're going two miles, not one. They're gonna go at a different pace. And, and when, you, when you change the pace, you have more margin in your life. And so when someone calls and says, I need to talk to you for 15 minutes, you tell them, you, tell, you say in your head, I'm going for 30 minutes. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna do one more. And it changes your pace, right? And, and when it changes your pace, you begin to have more margin in your life for things. And instead of going back to back to back, you say, God, I wanna make more margin so that when I'm asked to go one more, when I'm asked to give a little bit more, I wanna go the extra mile. And then before you know it, when you change your pace, it, you keep going instead of stopping. You keep your mat is in your hand and you keep moving. And before you know it, it changes your place. And once you change your place, you start seeing things you didn't think you were ever gonna get to see. I didn't know there was a waterfall over the ridge because you just kept going. See, the first mile is, your, is, is difficult. But the second mile, some refer to it as the smile mile because you get to change your place when you keep going. And when you change your pace and you change your place, you change your perspective. And that's what is often referred to as times the, the miracle mile, the change of perspective. Because people see you carrying a load, maybe even for others. And you get to the mile marker where everyone else be like, oh, shoo, done. And you look at that mile marker and you go, I don't know if I can make the whole next mile, but I can go one more. You know, I don't think I can make the whole mile, but I, I can go one more. And then I just, whew, I think, okay, one more. And then before you know it, ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm going one more. And before you know it, things start happening. People start asking, why are you still going? With all the stuff that's happened to you. I, I'm, 
I'm doing it for Jesus. The first of my hell, I was slave. Now I'm free. And there is no better way than to fulfill that stinking Roman law than to go the second mile. Scripture says, bear with one another. Maybe four of you, go bear with one another. Bear with one another. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, and in this way, you fulfill the law. This week, this week, if you get a chance, see what it feels like to go the extra mile and learn the power of second mile servanthood. Jesus, thank you for your incredible inspiration. There are so many things in this world that seem so unfair. There are challenges some of us face in this room that the person next to us is just not facing. There's things we've been asked to go through that maybe somebody else hasn't and it can feel so burdensome and you come along and you change the whole dynamic and you say, when someone forces you to go one, go two. And you change our pace. Oh God, you change our place and you change our whole perspective. And instead of having to do something that discourages us and makes us bitter, we turn it and we become loyal to our heavenly father and we get to walk the second mile. May we be a church that is kind of known for going the second mile for people. But may we be a church that even sometimes if we're wronged, we would learn the power of this truth and escape the bondage of what so many difficult things bring. Lord, would you free someone today by choosing to go the second mile? Amen.